Before we would turn to God's word, let's all turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Our loving and our faithful Heavenly Father, each and every day this week has been a great blessing. Our hearts have been moved, our hearts have been stirred as we've meditated upon this theme. And now, Lord, as we would look into this word again tonight, we ask thy Spirit's moving, thy Spirit's inspiration, that all of our hearts might be stirred, might be spoken to by thee. And Heavenly Father, as we look to thee for guidance and look to thee for strength, we do commit ourselves into the hands of one who has been faithful time and time again. And believing, Lord, we ask thy blessing again. In Jesus' name, amen. Since being asked to serve here at camp some few weeks ago now, I really struggled prayerfully with what the Lord would ask me to speak about and what he would ask me to say. And it really wasn't until this past week that it became more clear. And as as our Lord always works in wonderful ways, even throughout this week thus far at camp, from classes to forums to the evening services, he's confirmed for me, and that is to touch on a false doctrine that threatens to twist or distort the truth of the scripture that makes up our camp theme this year. And for our scripture reading, with God's help, I've chosen and wish to read from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10. The letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, I'd like to begin reading at verse 12. But this man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, And in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'd like to conclude reading with verse 25. This week we've heard a lot about the love that the writer of this letter to the Hebrews calls the full assurance of faith, the love that gives us a full assurance of faith. It's a love that in many ways is unexplainable. It's a love that's immeasurable. It's certainly a love that's undeserved. 
It's God's grace, God's loving grace, this unmerited favor. And God made it so, so that none could brag and say that it's because of what I did or something I've earned. Or maybe I've earned it better than he or she. It's God's grace. And it gives the believer the confidence to know that their sins, the debt of their sin, the penalty of their sin has been paid fully and eternally. And in the believer, there's no more fear of death nor of judgment. Like Brother Paul said last night, to be asked if we're afraid to die is likened to being asked if we're afraid to go to heaven. There remains no more fear of judgment. We can have this full assurance of faith. With it, we no longer have to fear that when we fail, as we all invariably do, that we risk losing our salvation. There's an assurance there that the blood of Jesus is able to continue to cover our sin, to wash it away, to cleanse it, to make it white as snow. But I'm afraid that many have taken this this fact, this doctrine, many have taken the fact that we no longer have to fear death and no longer have to fear the penalty of our sin and have taken that to mean that maybe we can get a little bit reckless or a little bit careless with our lives. And as a result, some have developed a casual attitude about sin. Misinterpreting God's grace, maybe even to mean that it's a license to sin. Because we know that we can count on God's grace to forgive. Some maybe feel that it's an opportunity to resurrect the old nature that we buried. Or maybe that we don't even need to bury an old nature. Maybe it's not important at all to live a certain way because I can count on God's grace. Yesterday in their forum, Brother Bob made the distinction between being saved from our sins and being saved in our sins. One means we've been delivered from an old life and an old nature and we're no longer slave to sin. We no longer serve that master. And we're now serving in a new capacity with a newness of life and a new purpose and serving a new master. And the other says, I'm saved, but basically I stay in my sinful state. It's a false doctrine. And I fear that this false doctrine is creeping into our church. I think I see it. And I believe it's in part a direct result of of mingling with others who believe false doctrines. And you know, our church for a long time has taken a strong stance against fraternization with other denominations. And I know many, especially the young, bristle at that and have a hard time embracing that and supporting that. I think that many believe that 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 means that our church is taking a position that we we are part of some exclusive club where salvation is only ours because of what we believe and because of how we practice. I don't know anyone who believes that. 
Maybe there are some. It would not only be naive, but prideful. That's not at all the point. The reason our church has taken that strong stance is to protect us from the myriad of false doctrines in Christianity today. You know, we can read in God's word that there were false doctrines and false prophets at that time when there was one church. Imagine what it's like now with hundreds and thousands of denominations. And I'm not for a minute suggesting that, that we are anything special. I know many people not of our denomination who are Christians who I see are seeming to live a Christian life, are seeming to follow what God's Word says and are living following God's plan for post-conversion Christians. And I believe that they are saved. But for every one of those, I see probably two or three who also call themselves by the name of Christ but are outright living in sin who have no regeneration within themselves, don't appear to have gone through any conversion experience, and yet believe they're saved. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. But I'm very concerned because I see doctrines like this one in our own circles. And I fear, especially with the youth, that... We've taken a casual attitude about sin. That we've let down our guard in a sense. That we've twisted the doctrine of what God's grace is to mean that it's okay to sin. You know, God's grace absolutely is a safety net for us. But we can never live our lives thinking that we can allow ourselves something because we have God's grace. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about frustrating the grace of God when he was, he was talking about Judaism. You want to talk about frustrating the grace of God. That's frustrating the grace of God. It's an abuse of God's grace. It's there so we can not live in fear. So that when we fail, we can claim the blood and we can turn to him. But we can't now live in sin. We can't now resurrect the old man and slide back into that old way of living. That's not why God's grace is what it is. And loved ones, I'm very concerned, and maybe there's some here writing that off as as old-fashioned. But I firmly believe, and and, and I think that between social networking and other means today, it's, it's very easy to connect with so many more people. And I'm sure we all have family and friends, relatives, loved ones who are part of different denominations. And I am sure, if you're honest with yourself, you would agree that they believe different doctrines. And the point is not to say that they're right or wrong or who's going to be saved or not saved, but we want to maintain a purity. We want to believe God's word as it's written in its totality. Because it is God's word. And any, any small opportunity to twist it, to turn it into something else, is a slippery slope and a dangerous path. I'm exhorting us 
all of us to support our church's stance on fraternization, to maintain the doctrine as it's been delivered to us, not from the church, from God's word, from God's word. I also see in, in many of our youth, and I, I apologize, I don't mean to, to pick or single out the youth, especially because I still consider myself to be numbered in that demographic. But I'm afraid that I see many young Christians, and I don't know that they're Christians. I have a difficult time discerning. And I'm not talking about how they look. I'm not talking about the clothes that they're wearing. I'm talking about the behavior, the attitude, the lifestyle. I'm talking about the principles that we stand for. You know, there was a time where you could recognize a Christian before they spoke sometimes, through what they did, through how they conducted themselves. And I'm afraid, my young brother and sister, that we've blurred that somewhat in our actions, in our attitudes and our speech and our conduct have been blended with that of the godless world. It sounds harsh. It is. You know, and I think some of it might be due to what we might consider a noble desire to, to make Christianity appealing to others. Maybe to be able to witness better to others. So we can be cool Christians. I don't think there is anything cool about Christianity when you think of the word cool as the world describes it and as it's used today. How the world sees cool, you can substitute the word sinful, typically. Look at any of the powerful witnesses for Christ. Look in the Bible at any of those who... who took a stand for Christ and were noted for their, for their strong witness. Were any of them cool by society's standards? Were any of them well accepted in the world? No, they were the freaks of society. Even Job's own wife says, you're crazy. Curse God and die. They said to Paul, you're, you're crazy, when he shared his testimony much learning made you, made you nuts. They told Jesus he was possessed. These faithful witnesses were not cool. They did not fit in with the world. They did not blend. Their speech, their actions, their appearance, their conduct, and above all, their, if I can use the term, fanatical adherence to the principles that comprise their belief system made them something that could never fit into society, never fit into the world. It was such a polar opposite, it, it immediately stood out. In my young brother and sister, I ask you, I ask myself, I ask all of us, have we blended in with the world? Or have we blended in with God's own? 
How long do we have to be with someone before we can figure out if they're a Christian or not? Would we ever tell before they told us? I'm concerned also that some of the behaviors that are becoming prevalent among our youth are growing. They're becoming more common. You know, when Brother Lou the other day shared, uh, repeated rather, the, the reminder that on the EMU campus and, and our own camp policy states that no drugs or alcohol or smoking is allowed on campus, I first chuckled, to be honest with you. It, it made me laugh. And then as it sunk in for a minute, it, it, I was appalled. There was a reason that that announcement had to be made. My brother and sister, is that possible? Is it possible? And I see, especially among the youth, there's a temptation that many are yielding to to fall back into what I'll call an old sin nature lifestyle because that's what it is. We're partying and drinking are activities that Christians involve themselves in. With those activities, there's nothing gray. There's nothing in between that maybe could be excused as as gray behavior. Those activities are unequivocally sin. And they're what we might call gross sin. I encourage you to look it up in God's Word. I encourage you to read Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians where in chapter 5 he lists those activities among all the other horrific works of the flesh. And he also states what the end is for those who do those things. It's very serious. It's very serious. And if we think for a minute that it's cool, that it's going to make us desirable, appealing to others... It's not. You ask anyone from our church who wasn't born into our church, what drew them here? It was not cool Christians. It was not that they they saw a similarity with the lifestyle that they lived before they knew God and what they saw in our church. It was that things here were so radically different that it caught their attention. It caught their attention and they wanted to know more. It wasn't that the line was blurred between what we allowed ourselves. It was that we stood for something that was different than what the world stood for. It was that we adhered to it with that radical conviction that others adhered to in their own faith. So I don't want us to think for a minute that we need to be appealing to others by being like the world. We will draw others to Christ, my brother and sister, when we're faithful to him. When our life reflects living for God. And if we think, if there's anyone here who thinks that we can stay in sin and and be saved. You know, I hear the the, the term sinner saved by grace. And and if you take that out of context, it has the same connotation we're talking about here. It's saying that I don't need to change. 
You know, all of a sudden, repentance and conversion and regeneration and holy living are, are not important or brushed to the side. And maybe that's good for putting aside differences, but it's not good for pleasing God. We talked this morning in our class about sin. You know, when someone, someone brought up the point that some time ago, maybe when, when they, they first converted, sin was very black and white to them. But they realized that now it's sometimes gray. It's sometimes gray. And I believe that one of the main reasons for that is we've gone to sleep and Satan is having his way with us. Look at the things we entertain ourselves with. Look at how we pass our time. You know, there was a time when, when, when murder and, and, and adultery and homosexuality and fornication, every other kind of, of, of uh, sexual impropriety was so horrific that it wasn't talked about. The Bible said it was a shame to speak of those things that were done to them in secret. And now it's how we spend our weeknights. It's funny to us. It gives us humor. My brother and sister, we're being desensitized, and we don't even know it. You know, we're fighting over whether it's okay to to go to a theater versus watching a movie at home. Satan's having a field day. We're missing the point. We're being deceived. And if we feel less horror at sin today than we did once before, we should be a little bit afraid. Some of that healthy fear that we heard about earlier this week would be good for us because we're just being desensitized. We're being numbed. Our minds are being put to sleep. And then if some of those horrific sins are no longer a horror to me, if maybe the the horror and the, the, the... Gravity of those sins has been softened. What's the deal then maybe with being a little lukewarm now and again? Having a little fun maybe. The big deal is that God says he will spew us out of his mouth. My brother and sister. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans... In chapter 6, after at the end of chapter 5, he, he, he talks about how where, where sin was abounding, grace did much more abound. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we allow ourselves to sin intentionally and consciously and continue to sin because God's grace abounds? He says, God forbid. No way. Don't even think about it. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's a rhetorical question. It's not possible. One who died to sin can't continue to live in sin. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about sin that we, we commit, a, a, a fault. I'm talking about going back into the old nature and making it a part of our regular life. Habitual sin, willful sin that that the writer to the Hebrews talks about in the verses that we didn't read. 
And I wish we had time to read this entire chapter of Romans 6. We, we read it often at baptisms quite appropriately. But I think we need to read it often. And as we, as we grow in faith and age in faith, we need to keep reading it. Because it keeps reminding us that we have died, we have buried our old nature, and we must not dig it up again. Just like we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. From now on, when we're converted, when we've been regenerated, we're no longer the servants of sin. We have a new master. And no longer are we to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but we're to yield them to God. Don't ever, don't ever let that become casual. Don't ever forget that. There are many who believe, who call themselves Christians, that that's not important. That I don't need to live a new life with a new purpose. That I don't need to be regenerated. That I can simply use or abuse the grace of God. My brother and sister and friend, God's grace, God's grace. Our fear has been removed for a purpose. It's been removed so it can be replaced with such a fervent love for this God who, the word says, spared not his own son for us. As we heard in the inspiration hour the other night, while we were yet in sin, we were the ungodly the unlovable. And that love means a life that never wants to disappoint or let down this God. It means we, we, we never want to take lightly or spite the price that Christ paid to remove that fear. We would never want to do that. You know, we had a, a visiting brother come to Windsor a few weeks ago and he as he was preaching he said you know God is not our buddy and he's not I think sometimes we slip into the danger of thinking that we, we can just like we often do to our friends do whatever it's not important God is our heavenly father and he paid for us such a great price so we could live without fear. How could we ever, how could we ever casually take sin? How could we ever let the black and white become gray? How could we ever let Satan have his way with us and dull our senses and put us to sleep? We talked about in our class this morning, we need to hate sin. We need to hate sin like God hates sin. And it's not easy. Our physical nature wants to sin. This is a battle between body and spirit. But it's a battle that Christ has given us victory over. And he asks us to serve him, not most of the time, not some of the time, not every time except for 8 to 10 p.m. On a, on a weeknight. He asks us to serve him with our everything, all the time. 
We need to be always on. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about the body of sin being destroyed. That, that word means, means, means our sinful nature is deactivated. It's shut off permanently. And no, we're not perfect. We will not be in this life. But God is calling us to holy living. Loved ones, our God has not only taken away the penalty of our sin, not only did Christ take our place for the just penalty of our sins, which the Bible tells us clearly is death, eternal death, but He's made it possible that we can be adopted into His family that we can intimately call him Abba. Would we not return that love in the only way we can with our whole life and our whole being? Would we not want our life to reflect our thanks for what God did for us? One day if we remain faithful. Being adopted into that family means we've also become joint heirs with the Lord Christ and will be made partakers of His unimaginable eternal glory. That makes me shake. My brother and sister and my friend May our lives be living testimonies of what God's Word teaches about what the life in Christ is. That we would shine. That our salt would be salty. And that we would draw everyone around us, not to ourselves, but to Jesus Christ. Amen.